Hey, 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 hey. What up, everybody? It is hot as your mom in Ontario right now. Hot. Hot. Sorry for the mom joke, but, you know, just mom jokes. Do they ever go, go out of style? I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe they do. Maybe it's just me. Mom jokes. Uh, we're not talking about mom jokes, though. We're talking about podcasts that I just recorded that you're just about to listen to with Jeremy Ravondo. He is the head pro at Cabot Links. You'll notice that I had Ed Ryan, who is head pro at Cabot Cliffs. Both are two legends that I worked with last year, amongst other legends that are out there. Just pure class. And a lot of people think that uh, some of these really nice golf courses, you know, they're number one and three in Canada. And then the Cliffs is number nine in the world and Lynx is uh, number 42. You think that it's a little going to be a little bit stuffy. It's the furthest thing from the case there. When you walk on the property... When you go to Cabot, it is Eastern hospitality at its finest. Everybody's laughing. Everybody will carry your bag. You know, it's just a very nice, cool little community. It's a little hamlet of Inverness, Nova Scotia, right on the Cabot Trail. And just beautiful golf courses that have revitalized that little town. Used to be an old mining town and it almost, the the town literally almost went uh, defunct. Um, but Ben Cowandur, a fellow Kingstonian, uh, came there with just this vision to build a golf course there, a true link style golf course. And it's absolutely fantastic. Beautiful, beautiful place. So as you'll hear here, we talk about, um, if it's opening up right now, it's open up to Atlantic Canada and, uh, fingers are crossed. Uh, hopefully you can make a trip out there this summer and see some old friends. And if anybody uh, is thinking about going out there, keep your, uh, keep your eyes open. I'll have it on my Instagram page, Facebook page right away. Uh, whenever it opens up so a lot of really kind of really great conversation with jeremy just an overall really good dude he's a sneaky sneaky smart guy as well he's you know you can tell obviously he's a very intellectual guy you don't become head pro at cabot uh without being a smart guy but his the amount of knowledge that that guy has on a lot of obscure facts and just you know he mentions a little bit about architecture and just you know i'm a i'm a newbie to golf you know i didn't really really start you know, taking it serious till about 10 years ago. I played a little bit growing up. I worked at some golf courses, but I really didn't start taking it. I don't even know if I really do take it serious now. I try to, um, but he, he's been around the game for a long time, almost his whole life, I think, since he was seven. So he's got some really uh, neat things to talk about the town, his journey to get there, and it's just some of the nuances um, just about the course in general and about the town altogether. So I really enjoyed it, and you know it's just always good to catch up with a uh, with a buddy after a while. So that was uh, one that I had scheduled for today, and we're looking to have a couple more within the next week. You know, I started off at about three a week uh, to start out with, uh, which is quite ambitious. But now, obviously, as things turned around, it's a little bit more challenging. But that's okay. We're still going to get it done. Just a matter of uh, what time, and when, when, where, how, when, why, blah, 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 all that stuff. I'm making some new hats. So if you're interested in hats and those, I've, there's, I think there's two guys I still haven't got your hat to making new hats. So keep an, keep an eye out at that. And I'm going to, uh, I'll be able to ship them to you or deliver them to you wherever you are. And I'm uh, going to be making a whole bunch of, a uh, whole bunch of new ones for you as well. And some t-shirts. So keep an eye open for that. But without further ado, Jeremy Rivondo, head pro Cabot links golf course in Inverness, Nova Scotia, the number three golf course in Canada and number 42 in the world. Talk to you soon. Peace. You've been around. You're obviously the head. Um, so I'm talking with Jeremy Rivondo, head golf professional at Cabot Links in Inverness, Nova Scotia. So, Jeremy, 
you don't just get to Cabot by accident. What what led you to Cabot? How'd you get there? Well, it was a long process. Uh, yeah. You know, going back, essentially, um, my past, I mean, I started golfing when I, when I was seven years old. My grandfather had played. He he worked at uh, General Motors factory in St. Catharines, and so it was uh, him, and the, him and the boys uh, bowling and golfing and that, and that's when got a club in my hand, and to it pretty quickly, I think, and just in a few swings, I was just able to kind of see what he did and mimic it. And so he got me a membership when I was eight at Fort Colburn Country Club, and realized uh, I was playing a lot of hockey in the winter and just sports in general all the time. So took the golf pretty quickly, and once I started to get older, I was, you know, in a small. I grew up in a smaller town, less than twenty thousand people, and once. Uh, once I started to get to 10, 11, 12, I, kind of, I was winning a number of golf tournaments in my division. Anyway, as I started to get older and was improving every year, I realized a lot of people had always said, you know, as far as a future or a career, you're supposed to, you know, follow what you're passionate about or, you know, find something you love or you enjoy doing and, and pursue that. So to me, golf felt like a no-brainer. Uh, I was never, uh, never too interested in anything else I didn't uh, didn't feel like there was anything else calling me and so I thought well let's pursue a, a career in golf and got going into Mexico State University went to mm-hmm. a, a PGM program back in the early days there and was a PGA of America member and around just around 2000 2001 I thought uh, that I really wanted to be back in Canada I, I was proud to be a Canadian and and felt like uh, I, I wanted to live my life in Canada as opposed to staying in the U.S. So came back to Canada, and uh, you know, 20 years later, um, I've just uh, been fortunate to work some great jobs, some great golf courses, and for some for some great uh, golf professionals. And Ted Stonehouse, who's the director of golf here at Cabot, uh, right. we worked together for a number of years in St. John's at uh, Clo Valley. Right. So after being with Ted for a few years, we, we left uh, Newfoundland at the same time. Ted came to Cabot. I went to the Thornhill Club in Toronto and spent a few years there working under Todd McGrath. And then this uh, a year and a half ago, I got the call from Ted that as Cabot continues to grow, they were going to add a head professional for the link. And uh, the year before, Ed Ryan had come on board as the head pro at the Cliff. That's right. So came out here in October of 2018. I just came out for a visit. I hadn't been out in a few years. And uh, was out here for a few days and, and had a great time. And then, you know, certainly I've always kept in touch with Ted, but eventually got the call. And, uh, yeah, so thrilled, right? I mean, how many opportunities do you get to work at? You never really dream that you're going to work at the best golf course in Canada. <laughs> no. But um, here we are. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's a, that's a pretty, you know, you've had definitely a, a journey. So, you know, to most people who've, who've been out there, and even if you haven't ever, if you've never been out there, you see Cabot and automatically the answer would be yes. But what else, like, allowed you to make that decision? So obviously the golf speaks for itself. The views speak for itself. What else about Cabot, like, drew you in there? Yeah, so my uh, my interest in Cabot goes back a long ways. Uh, 
you know, Ben Calendur, the, uh, the mm-hmm. founder, had uh, started working on that in uh, 2000. On Jack Nicholas had done a routing, and his team had done a routing in 2002. So the golf, uh, the golf potential had been pegged there, and Nova Scotia was uh, interested as far as the provincial government was interested in seeing the golf course develop that Cabot. So I had followed it uh, going back to 2008 when the first releases started to come out that Ben had, had put a plan together to build Cabot Link. In, uh, in 2010, I was out here in Cape Breton, uh, basically on a bit of a golf tour with, with some buddies who were coming out here. So came out and, and played, uh, played some of the courses around Cape Breton, but met up with Ben and, and got a tour of the site hmm. uh, during construction. And did you know, did you know him before that time? Yeah, I met Ben a year earlier, uh, just through a golf site called uh, golf club Atlas, okay. which is essentially a forum for, you know, architecture aficionados really. Hmm. And uh, a great forum where a number of architects are in there and, and a lot of guys in the business are on there. And there's a, there's a discussion forum where everyone just kind of exchanges feedback and puts ideas out there and, and everyone, you know, there, everyone has, like I said, a similar interest in architecture. So through that, I realized Ben was a partner in that site and he was living at Yorkville in the time and I was living in Toronto at the time. And I just reached out to Ben and just said, you know, I have a, a, a great interest in architecture and, and I see that you're certainly involved in that and that you're starting this project at Cabot. And, and we met for coffee one day. And uh, so we had met, uh, met Ben and kept in touch a bit. And then when I was coming out here, I reached out to him and he said, yeah, you know, come on out and we'll give you a little tour around. And I thought that was great. So Cabot had basically been on my radar going back a decade now. Okay. Now, at the time, you know, they were still a couple of years from opening. So there's, there's, wasn't really any opportunity to, to come into the team then. And I was out in 2015 as well. So as far as, you know, what the appeal was beyond the golf course, certainly the, the golf course would speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. But the opportunity to join the team to team back up with Ted, who, you know, his reputation precedes him, an outstanding professional and uh, total professional in every way. Uh, I think that was a big part of it. And honestly, I've, I've been so fortunate in some of the places I've worked that I, I guess it's fair to say I feel like I have high standards where I, I wouldn't, I don't know that I'd enjoy going to work at a mediocre golf course, maybe with a, a better opportunity or more pay or a better title. I mean, it, it felt like a no brainer to, to come to Cabot, especially as a head professional. And uh, I knew the town, I love Cape Breton. It's just a gorgeous place. I'm a big fan of mountains and ocean, and you kind of have it all here with the Highlands National Park just a bit north. So mm. I, I think the, the confluence of all of that uh, just made it a simple decision where, you know, couldn't believe it uh, was true, but a year and a half later, it's it's been awesome being part of the team. Yeah. Well, you talk, you, yeah, you talked about it and I don't have to kiss your ass anymore because you're, you're, you're still, you're not my boss anymore, but so, but I, I speak with the heart. Like it's true. Like you, you know, you mentioned Ted and you, as you said about his professionals, Ted is an absolute, he's a legend. Um, then Andrew, you know, Ed and then, and then Ben, of course, the, just the, all of you guys together, there's other people I could name as well. But, um, yeah, you guys are certainly there's that level of professionalism, and you know, as we as you know better than anybody, everything trickles uh, from the top down, 
and uh, you certainly make it um, that great of a place. So what's the vibe out there? Like, obviously, you know, everything's turned upside down. What's the vibe out there right now? So, so for what I understand, excuse me, from what I understand, it's just Atlantic Canada who's able to golf now, correct? That's correct. So we're open to the Atlantic bubble. So any from, anyone from Newfoundland and Labrador, PEI and New Brunswick are able to join us. That, uh, I want to say, I might be wrong in the exact date. I think July 3rd, Friday, July 3rd, if I'm not mistaken, was when the bubble opened. Okay. So we, we opened on June 19th. Our, our official opening day. Now, I know a lot of courses opened a little before that, but, mm-hmm. you know, we had, it was a challenge because our tee sheet, our original opening day, I believe, was May 10th, um, maybe May 8th, and, you know, we didn't have a lot of information back then. We just knew we had to keep postponing it because we uh, we weren't sure about borders and, and just regulations and all that, so... Uh, you know, so we changed our policies and reservations to allow for seven-day cancellations to allow people last-minute cancellations, essentially, right. as we really feel for things. And then once we realize that we're going to open, but we're not going to be able to welcome, you know, welcome the world in, essentially, that we were going to be limited and limited to only Nova Scotia, we needed some time to put a game plan together to ensure that we could still uh, we would still be busy and, and have a solid opening. So we did open June 19th. Uh, funny thing, you know, one of the funny side stories would be the hottest opening day on record, and I don't think it'll ever be surpassed because <laughs> we had a 35 Humidex. Oh. Uh, any breeze and the sunshine, and it was the hottest day. And it was great to be open, but we couldn't <laughs> believe how, uh, how hot it was Um, it's very odd for sure as well. 
Yeah, that June 19th opening date is uh, certainly a little uh, little, uh, little later than expected. But, but like you said, everything is uh, is turned upside down right now. And the heat, we're going through, a, so we're recording this on uh, on a Thursday. And the heat here today, I'm in Peterborough, and it's 40 with the Humidex today. So it is, it is absolutely nasty. And that was another question um, that I was going to ask you. Actually, well, two-parted. Um, talking about the, the, the heat and being the links, you know, Cabot links, Cabot cliffs, of course, they're true link style courses. So there's not that much escape, um, from the heat. And as we mentioned too, it's mainly a caddy program where there's no carts. Explain to people kind of the difference between like your Cabot links, Cabot cliffs compared to your traditional golf course. Yeah. So, I mean, a big part of what you have in links golf is going to be breeze. So we don't generally get, uh, you know, even when we are hot, there's usually a pretty good breeze. Of course, on the days where there isn't, and then it's extremely hot. But the uh, the Lynx course was was the first uh, first one built here, and so that was uh, that was an old mining site. So the land was was not really couldn't serve any other purpose. It had been abandoned for 50 or 60 years once the mines closed up. Right. Uh, mines were open for about the same amount of time, 50, 60 years or so, and the main mine shaft is where our halfway hut is now on uh, near 14 T where we have a few holes coming in and 14 is this epic uh, downhill par three infinity green, just looking straight out to the ocean to the West. And, uh, I bogeyed that a few times. As you've seen. <laughs> so yeah. The, uh, the links property would be your traditional links where it's, it's the, the, the ocean, the golf property itself, the, the links land, and then the sea. So your traditional links would link the town to the sea. And, you know, in, in Scotland, really, where the, the game started, a lot, of that was, uh, a lot of that land was developed by dunes. So those sand dunes would, would shift a bit. And once, once the grasses, the native grasses, the marin grass, the fescue, started to grow on it, that would stabilize the dunes. But that land, because it was so sandy, it served no agricultural purpose. Right. That's really where the lake land came from. Is it was barren land, but with the with the sandy terrain, it drained so well that it was just perfect for golf. So you know we see that today, where Mr. Kaiser, who's a partner mm-hmm. and started Band and Duke, he realized like sand is the key to, to great golf, and and that was lost or that was kind of overlooked or missed for many years, where golf courses. You know, once once the construction changed a lot and that the machinery changed, you could build golf courses anywhere. But when you look at the real root of the game, sandy soils are where it's at. And uh, and Cabot Links, as you know, it's got sand dunes across the, especially the southwest part of the property. Mm-hmm. Um, Gorgeous. So that just was perfect for golf and and. The fescue grass is a big part of why we don't have power carts, uh, and along with the fact it's fantastic to have a caddy program. But fescue and golf carts don't really go together. The the golf carts really uh, burn out and destroy fescue, especially in hot, dry conditions, which is what you want a links to be. You want it to be firm and fast, and uh, and so, and and that's what happened at Bandon Dunes as well. They started the caddy program. There were no carts. We do have carts for those with a major medical need, but they're very rare. 
and uh, and and Ben knew that you know the caddy program was where it's at. It's, it's really another great part of the overall experience. We've got so many local caddies who bring you know so much uh, have lived their whole lot all their lives here and bring so much local knowledge and just a local flair to that experience, which you can't get anywhere else. You can only get your local caddies at whatever part of the world you're golfing at with caddies, right? So that was a, a big part of it. And Swift was a spectacular site, which they, that they identified real early when they, when Ben came out here early on and uh, anyone else who would have brought with them, they, they saw the potential of the cliff site, but, you know, the focus was to build the links first, make sure that that was going to be successful. Rod Whitman was the designer, and he's got an incredible shaping history with Core Crenshaw, uh, Pete Dye early on, mm-hmm. and uh, and Rod was the genius and the dozer. And uh, you know, it's a it's a subtle golf course, a lot like you know, if you think think about the old course at St Andrews, where it doesn't blow you away. It's, it's very subtle, but it's an, an incredible challenge, and and that's what you get in Lynx golf. Whereas Cataclysm absolutely blows you away you stand on the second tee and just you know mouth wide open mm-hmm. amazing pull and then you get to five and six and seven and you've gone through you know forested areas you've gone through dunes land you've gone through wetlands and it's, it's pretty incredible so that was a spectacular site which they knew was going to be incredible but once uh once they built the links and, and saw that success there, then they were able to build the cliffs uh, a few years later. Right, and somebody with a with a background and such an interest in architecture, this just it just it's just the prime spot for you as well, uh, as I'm as I'm sure. So you mentioned a little bit earlier too with um, the Ontario borders potentially opening up. And I know I, I know I bite you. You might not be able to answer that, but do you think there's a, any type of likelihood um, people from Ontario being able to come out? I absolutely want to be as positive as I can be. Yeah. I think I think it's a likelihood. I don't know what a timeline is. We're, we're certainly hearing rumors of it happening sooner than later, but I, I would just be cautious to, and I certainly, yeah, I have no part in this decision. Of but course. Our, the Nova Scotia government has proven themselves to be very cautious with uh, what they're handling of COVID. So there, there is no rush to open the border from their perspective. Uh, I, I think Cabot would, would love to see it, but at the same time, we have to ensure that, you know, everyone here is going to stay safe and healthy and that's the priority. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, it's great for the, uh, for the business model to, to be able to get our friends in from Ontario. Um, I think it will happen. I just don't know if it's going to be as soon as, as soon as we might uh, hope for, but you know, I, I think it is, we're, we're certainly hopeful that we can welcome our guests from Ontario at some point here in the not too distant future. Yeah. Fair enough. I think I'd have a school bus of all my friends asking me. Uh, oh, I, I'm literally <laughs> almost every day. I've uh, got friends reaching out like, can we come out there yet? Can we come out there yet? And unfortunately, no, it's still a two-week quarantine period if you if you decided to jump in your car and come out here. Yeah, yeah. So I would say it's funny that you mentioned number two. I would say that number two is uh, on the cliffs might be my favorite hole. It's obviously, it, it changes uh, quite a bit, but I always seem to go back to number uh, number two. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to like one more than the other. But do you have like a? Because I always when when I whenever guests would come to uh, the the course, they would say, "Which one do you like better?" I was like, "I love them equally." They're like having two kids, but you love one just you love one just a little bit more. And I and and I think it was just because I probably played a little bit better at the links. But do you have a preference uh, where you play? 
Yeah, I, I'll go with my firstborn, which is not mine by any means, but that kind of links with the assessment. Yeah. I, I just feel it's that more traditional Lynx golf course. I absolutely believe that uh, Kevin Lynx has, they have 10 par fours, and I think they are absolute world-class par fours. You can, you can put Kevin Lynx's 10 par fours up against any of the world's best courses. Mm-hmm. There's just, uh, you know, four, five, six of them are absolutely outstanding, and none of them are weak by any means. So I, I just, think once you know once you're out here and you spend enough time playing the courses and we see this with returning guests over and over once you see it more and more they realize they start to realize they like the links a little more than they may have first expected and a lot of it is just that subtlety the nuances the green sites and the shot values around the green that's really within 30 50 yards of the green cabot links is absolute world class Uh, so many choices so many different shots you can hit, and and with that the firmness of it, uh, it really makes you consider the bounces. And with mm-hmm. those varying wind conditions, it, it just can play so different day in day out. And that's and that's true of any great links course that you you play four days in a row, and if the wind's shifting, you, you're playing. You feel like you're playing four different courses, and that's so different from the typical uh, North American game, whether it's parkland golf, where it's a little bit. Uh, maybe a little too wet and, and everything's in the air and everything's a flop shot and it's all rough around the green. You're, you're, you're handed endless choices when you're playing these golf courses. So many different shots and, and shot shapes and shot selections and trajectories that you really, you're just forced to think. And that's what, that's what's fun about golf is when you're really forced to think and make decisions. Yeah, it's true. It's it's very very challenging. I always notice, you know, with your being able to putt almost from fifty yards um, off the green. And I remember even seeing some of our guests' uh, jaws drop when we put the the push cart right over the greens as well. <laughs> Just because a lot of I had yeah. I hadn't seen that uh, before the first time I came out um, on the fescue, and uh, they're saying, "Are you allowed to do that?" Yes, uh, yes, of course. So you've you've been lucky enough. You mentioned St. Andrews uh, a little bit earlier, and obviously, you, you know, we're speaking about Cabot Links, Cabot Cliffs. Um, but now there's the uh, the Nest. How's the Nest coming along? Or is it or is it open? It's going really well. I was up there yesterday briefly, and we're we're getting the mowing heights down, and it's really looking good. It's it's going to be so much fun. Um, Rod Whitman and Dave Axland uh, did most of that work there, and it, it's outstanding. Some great green sites. The views. Uh, part of the reason it is uh, the nest is it's uh, higher elevation, so uh, incredible views. You'll be looking down over some of the cliffs course once you're up there. But mm-hmm. we've got ten holes, all par threes. Uh, holes one through nine are in the eighty to one hundred and seventy yard range, and then the tenth hole is downhill, two hundred and twenty yard par three. So. Great mix of holes, uh, great little routing where a lot of different angles, so the wind conditions will be changing hole to hole, and uh, we've got a double green on four and nine, a little bit smaller than our Lynx double green that holds the eighth green and the 13th green, but uh, a double green, which is a great little feature, and uh, I think it's just, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's, it's, you know, we suspect about maybe an hour and a half uh, to play, maybe a little less if you've got only a couple of you playing, but it's just, it's going to be a great spot to 
get an additional, you know, 10 holes in for, for some of our maybe more senior players who wouldn't go 36 or even some of our guys who go 36 early. Um, you know, we've got daylight this time of year, so mm-hmm. almost nine o'clock. So, you know, you can certainly still get out there for some money matches at the end of the day, maybe a few pops and just yeah. have a lot of fun. Yeah, I think there's going to be a, a lot of gambling uh, going on. And if, if any of my golf lately, I would probably lose a lot of money there. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I quit after 16, Jeremy. You would have been disappointed. I, I played golf yesterday. I quit after 16 holes. It was bad. It was bad. You were about to probably pull out a shot on 17 and you didn't get there. <laughs> hey, I, hey I, thought, I never thought you'd bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was my best my best bunker shot ever was with you on 17 to keep the match alive, and then I think I duffed one on 18 coming home. <laughs> uh, no one remembers 18, let me tell you. That's, that's for sure. So, again, so Cab, so Cabot Links, Cabot Cliffs, now we have the nest. What about, so what is, two questions, what's your dream course that you could play that you've never played, and what's the most spectacular course or your favorite course that you have played? Yeah, but... Uh, Green course is a tough one. I, I don't know that I could give you one answer. I've got a few. Okay. I've, I've been, uh, I feel almost neglectful in, in doing some of these uh, bucket list golf trips. So in the last few months, I've put together a few bucket list trips that include Scotland, Ireland, um, the UK, and the Netherlands, and the sand belt in Australia. Okay. But, so if I was to give you a dream course, I would just give you four, maybe like a foursome. Okay. Uh, say the old course at St. Andrews, Cypress mm-hmm. uh, Point, nice. Pine Valley, mm-hmm. and Royal Melbourne. Okay. I feel like we've got uh, nice mix. You can't drive all in day. <laughs> no, no, you can't. No, you can't. Those are all spread out and and uh, quite the jaunt. Um, and then what about ones that, one that you have played? Yeah. Uh, you know what, uh, at being out here for a year and a half now, I, I have no doubt that my favorite course in the world is Cabot Link. Yeah. It's so nice. Prior to my time at Cabot Link, I, I'm a big fan of Highlands Link, which is, mm-hmm. uh, two hours from here, which is an old Stanley Compton in Inganish. Mm-hmm. Um, Spectacular course. I'm a, I'm a big fan of St. George's, which is uh, another Stanley Thompson in uh, Etobicoke, which mm-hmm. has um, held uh, Canadian. It's going to hold the Canadian Open next year. It was scheduled this year, but they had to push it back. Uh, huge fan of Pinehurst, Pinehurst number two specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, a fantastic property and you know golf mecca, as you will, and with with the amount of golf courses there. Um. Most, one of the most spectacular courses I would have ever played was Cape Kidnappers in uh, in New Zealand, yes. the North Island, Fox um, Bay, designed by Tom Doak. That was uh, that was incredible. I mean, uh, any uh, any big time golfers would have seen will have seen pictures of Cape Kidnappers, which is uh, some of the finishing holes are along 500 foot limestone cliffs. It's just incredible, and uh, that would be one of the most spectacular routing. I've ever seen for sure. 
Yeah, some of those, uh, some of the, if you've never seen, if anybody's listening has never seen any photos of Cape kidnappers, Google that right now. They're probably some of the most dramatic photos that you've ever seen of a golf course. And like, as you mentioned, what did you say? Some of the, I've never, of course, been there myself, been in New Zealand, but never to that actual golf course. And what did you say about some 500 foot drops? Is that what they actually are? Yeah, so wow. the 15th hole, I believe called the plank, it's a 550 yard par five that goes out along one of these fingers and, and when you're looking at the photos you'll see massive massive valleys between some of the holes and so there's a number of bridges to get across and like i said it's just extreme but very playable but 15 is called plank and it, it brings you out to this point so it's tiny green it narrows as you get closer to the green so you can easily miss left and right and and go down this 500 foot limestone cliff where <laughs> wow. i've got a photograph of one of my college buddies was the head professional there for a number of years and I've got a picture he's got a picture of me in this bunker where if you're scared of heights there's no chance of getting into this greenside bunker <laughs> but the background is just these massive massive limestone cliffs and it's just it's incredible it really it's incredible to you know to get a piece of land like that but yet make it playable make it walkable uh, you know Tom Doak has a certainly uh, anyone in, into golf course architecture knows Tom Doak well and mm-hmm. has, uh, has made a great name for himself and a, a great career um, along the lines of minimalist architecture. So sometimes you just get sites that you, you can't say no to and they, they are a challenge sometimes, but it's, uh, it's quite the spot. Yeah. 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 I, I, that's one that's definitely on my bucket list. If I ever get back over there again, that'd be amazing. So you almost kind of gave me, cause there's a common theme I do with the, with the podcast. So you gave me four of your, courses perhaps dream courses i know you have a lot on on the list but the old course cypress pine valley and then royal melbourne now what about a foursome uh to play with i know this one i know right. we, I, we didn't discuss before but what about a foursome to play with i'll, I'll start off with uh foursome to play with i'm going to take myself out of the playing part <laughs> okay okay so um no one needs to watch my golf game, but I'm going to, uh, I think to me, it's a no brainer. I'm, I'm putting Bobby Jones in there. I'm putting Ben Hogan in there, Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods. Uh, you know, I can't, I would have no interest in even hitting a golf shot. I might hit a putt for Ben Hogan. I putt for Ben Hogan. Maybe that's he struggled with that a bit. So okay. That's dream foursome. Play golf with Bobby Jones, Ben Hogan, Jack, and Tiger, and putt for Ben Hogan the whole time because he's going to hit it inside 15 feet all day, and uh, might be able to beat Tiger if we do that. And then, and then, and then you're good to go. That's a that's a fantastic force. Imagine the stories, just being a fly on the wall, or just be. You're right. It'd almost be better just to walk around and just listen to the conversations. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would just uh, that would just be incredible. Well, you know, and it's funny, like, you know, just being able to walk around and talk with the, talk with those guys and just even if you didn't get a chance to just t- chat with them, but just to listen. And I think that's almost what we might get a sense of um, as we move forward. Like, have you been watching much of the golf that's uh, that's been on with, with no fans? I have been watching a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't say I've watched a ton, but I've definitely caught some of the rounds. And, and you're definitely getting the, the interaction a little more and uh, the caddy player interaction, and I love that personally. As well. I, uh, I would agree with Brooks Kepka's comments were a little harsh, but that's, uh, that's how Brooks likes to come off, where <laughs> yeah. you know, he basically was saying that the announcers would just uh, stop talking. They would hear more of those interactions, but you know, with no fans, you're, you're hearing a lot more. And I, I love that part of the game. I, I think golf is, 
you know, extremely, an extremely mental game. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of it is, you know, the player's decision and, and their conviction to the shot. There's so much information available to them. And we see that with Bryson a bit, but so much, and Phil as well, certainly, uh, I remember on Faraday, he went through all the factors that could play into a shot, but it's, it's really been neat to, to hear those interactions a little more and just to, uh, to observe that side of it more so than we maybe did in the past. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is, it is weird. Um, and I understand, you know, the player's perspective saying, yeah, it's a bit weird, but for some of the guys, it, it's not that different, especially the, uh, the less uh, well-known guys where they would still go out on a Thursday morning and, and only really have their family around. Um, so different than, you know, trying to follow Tiger or something, but, for, for a number of the guys, it's not that much different, except when they are in the hunt Sunday and they realize they're not hearing any cheers, any roars. Tiger hasn't been playing since we've been back, so they don't have a sense of really what's happening on the golf course where that would really be a big factor. So it's, uh, you know, some of them have said it makes it maybe a little easier to, to not have the fans and to not hear uh, anything happening out there and just looking at the scoreboards, but... It's certainly different, but at the same time, I mean, I, I'm just happy that golf is back. It, it's great to see the players again. I think we've actually got Adam Hadwin and Nick Taylor on the top of the leaderboard right now at the, at the memorial, pre-memorial. Right. So, playing Murphy twice here back-to-back weeks. But, um, you know, it, it's just great to have them back playing again, and I, I certainly prefer that than them not playing because they can't have fans. Now the Ryder Cup has just announced officially announced the postponement, and that was, you know, a big talking point. Is the Ryder Cup the Ryder Cup without fans? That's I, a tough one. I don't I, know. I agree that you just can't replicate that pressure that the the environment gives you with those fans. I know the guys have play for pride, and they would want to win, but you cannot replicate, you know, thousands of bias fans, especially American fans going crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can't get that those feelings with without that. So I I, I think I support that decision to to uh, postpone it. It just it, it makes sense on so many levels. I agree. Yeah, I agree with you on that point too. You're you're right. It's it's a completely uh, completely different ball game with the fans. It was you know what was surprising to me was that uh, Ricky Fowler was the only one of all the players. I think it was in the mutual that agreed to uh, be mic'd up. He was the only one. I, that was a, yeah. So Adam also said he agreed, but he's not a he's not a name that moves the needle, so they kind of ignored that. Mm-hmm. Um, so more players than just Ricky, but Ricky was the only superstar. And here's the tricky part, Mike. Uh, the players having I've, – I've been out to a number of tour events and I've followed a number of players and I've followed uh, less-known players sometimes. And you get pretty close and you hear their conversations and, and you love hearing those conversations. It's, it's very cool to be a part of. But I also know that these guys love to just kind of talk, talk their talk and they're comfortable in, in their environment and they like to – Say whatever they want to say, and it's so different. If you're mic'd up, it completely changes for some of these guys. Not for everyone, but some of these guys would be so uncomfortable uh, having to watch what they're saying. And you know, when you, you I thought of it from that perspective, and I totally get it. I I love the idea that yes, it would be great to have the players mic'd up, but I honestly thought about 
the fact that they really have to watch what they're saying. They have to, you know, for some of these guys would have to change their behavior entirely and that's going to throw them off. Mm-hmm. And it's just the distraction mm-hmm. that they don't necessarily want yeah. where some of the guys will know what I'm fine with it. But having observed some of those on course conversations, I'm not surprised to see a lot of guys being hesitant to that. No, and I guess golf is just a, a complete game of routine too, isn't it? So when you, like you said, if you're throwing if you're throwing that off even one ounce, uh, you could be throwing off a lot of other things to go with. And were you were you alluding to when you were talking about Phil breaking down the shots? Were you alluding to like the Phil Tiger Brady um, Brady Peyton Manning match? Because I know Phil did a really really cool like minute or two breakdown of a, a couple different shots there. Yeah, Phil Phil's great like that. He's got so much information. Uh, what I was actually referring to, though, was uh, a Faraday piece he did a few years ago okay. where he analyzed, I believe, maybe a nine-iron shot from 154 yards or something or 164 yards, and he, he talked about air density, talked about the lie, talked about, you know, if it's in the rough, how much grass, um, what's the, where's the pin, what's the trajectory, how far is it going to roll out, you know, how, if he hits it higher, how fast can he stop it? Does that change, you know, his his yardage? What's he want to play to? Does he want to, you know, swing 80%, 90%? He just gave so much detail in, in all the things that you can think of. And he he really just kind of, you know, nerded out for a minute with Faraday on, on just how much you can really consider. And you see Bryson, you see some of that with Bryson and, and his scientific approach and, and just all the calculations you can make based on one straightforward, seemingly straightforward golf shot. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, you mentioned Bryson. He's raising uh, some eyebrows lately. Now, <laughs> he just broke Tiger's record for most uh, driving yardage in a tournament. What do you, what do you, like, I don't know. I feel like we're in the middle of, like, you know, when baseball came back after the strike, Bud Selig turned his eye, or blind eye to, you know, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, two 240-pound behemoths with 32-inch waist just blasting, you know, balls out of the stadium. And then you have Lance Armstrong. Oh, you know, he comes back from cancer, wins seven Tour de France's. Uh, And then now you have DeChambeau. And you never want to, you know, I posted this on my Instagram a couple days ago or yesterday. You know, you don't want to knock a guy's hard work, but, you know, gaining 40 pounds and just being a monster now. Like, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts of what he's doing to the game? It's great. He's winning, but... Uh yeah, his record is, you can't argue with his record. No. And so it's working. I mean, I think Bryson's kind of falling into that uh, category of you either love him or hate him. But yep. you have to respect the result. And, you know, what he's done is, is shocking in a way, uh, the, the weight he's put on and the fact that he's playing the best golf of his life. He clearly has a team of experts in, in science, in fitness, um, the mental side of the game. So he's got the best of the best around him. And, and he's, he's gone down a path to pursue, you know, being the best golfer he can be. And he hasn't let up at any point. And at, at some, at, you know, at some time in the last year, year and a half, he started to realize if he could hit it further, that would benefit him. If he, you know, as long as he kept some accuracy and, and you know, kept it on the golf course, but, you know, the fact that he was able to put on 40 pounds through a ton of work, I can't even, you know, begin to speculate if, you know, if he's using anything performance enhancing 
I just really have no idea. Um, you know, I, I feel like his transformation is, is, you know, physically possible mm-hmm. through the kind of dedication that, you know, some star athletes have. But, uh, you know, the fact that he's been able to add that weight, keep the flexibility, keep the golf swing, maybe improve his golf swing, it's crazy. Uh, <laughs> it is crazy. And, you know, hitting the ball as far as he's hitting it, flying over, you know, all the carry bunkers, which aren't supposed to be carry bunkers. They're supposed to be bunkers <laughs> that are in place for the top right. players, uh, fairway bunkers, um, you know, 300 yards out from the tee. Well, it's, uh, it's quite concerning ultimately as far as, you know, the future of the game because Bryson potentially becomes a role model. Well, as a role, as Bryson's a role model, now the governing bodies, I would hope, are, are starting to, you know, red flag it even more thinking, is this the kind of role model that we want our juniors to be going towards where, okay, never mind going to play, let's get you to the gym and start bulking up because you've got to get as, you know, strong and, as you can be to get the fastest swing speed you can get so you can just hammer the ball. I mean, bomb and gouge golf goes back a number of years, say 20 years, when when the term started to catch on because the Tiger was hitting it so far and then you started Tiger-picking courses. Here we are 20 years later still dealing with the same thing. What's going to be the validity of our historical golf courses, our, you know, our classic golden age architecture golf courses that are only 7,000 yards? And these guys, you know, in the right conditions and soft conditions, these guys make 8,000-yard golf courses look short. Mm-hmm. It, it's, not, it's not where we want the game to go. And so with that being said, Bryson, I think what Bryson's doing is, po- is hopefully positive to create change or to force, you know, force the governing body's hand because the manufacturers have been in control for too long now and there's, you know, a lot of concern that, yeah, the game's not going in a good direction. We can't just keep chasing distance and technology keeps improving. And every year a driver comes out that, you know, goes 10 yards further. And, uh, you know, I understand that element of it because it's prevalent in every part of our culture. But as far as, you know, preserving the game that we all know and love and, and you know, bringing, you know, there's no easy answer whether it's rolling back the ball, but we just know we can't continue down this path and, and have, you know, our greatest golf courses be irrelevant because they're not long enough. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's no more property in so many of these places. You can't continue. We can't just continue to go down this path of making golf courses longer and tougher. You know, we see Harbor Town, um, which is a great example of a short course, shot makers course, uh, you know, Riviera, there's, there's still some classics out there, but, you know, Augusta, for example, has continually uh, gone longer and longer. And, you know, they brought the rough in and the gradual rough um, was a big change, certainly. But, you know, golf, and that's going back to Lynx golf, it's all about strategy. It's all about angles. Royal Melbourne showed that wonderfully during the President's Cup uh, on just, strategic nuances of what a great golf design is. Now, unfortunately, it's just not e- that easy to build no. only incredible golf courses forward. We just don't have enough uh, absolute world-class architects to do that. Um, but the handful of architects that are doing that are certainly well-known. But it's, uh, I think it's good. I think, I think Bryson hopefully is going gonna, is gonna to force the, the hand of the governing bodies to, 
start to implement some kind of change. They they had a um, a massive uh, distance insight project that they've uh, pushed back a bit here and and uh, understandably so with uh, with the, with the pandemic. But um, yeah, we've got to we've got to see some changes at some point here. <laughs> yeah, and just and how hard he is swinging the at the ball is it, it's amazing that he can keep it in play. Like he is swimming. Like I had Martin Borgmeier, uh, one of the world long drive champs, and he holds a world record now for ball speed. And he is swinging. Right. Like he and you know he's and I was talking to him about like how many are you actually keeping in the grid? He's like on a good day if I have you know nine balls, I'm putting like two or three in there. But like Deshambo is just hitting fairways, and you know like you said, putting like these fairway bunkers. He's he's flying them like 340 yards. So what do you think? Is it? And I remember actually going back to not even uh, golf related. But John McEnroe spoke about that, uh, maybe not so recent, probably about five to five to eight years ago, about perhaps even bringing back like a wooden racket for men's tennis because he was just saying it took away so much from the game, um, just the speed, so many aces, you're, you're, you're losing all these rallies. Now, do you think it's the, it's the responsibility of these manufacturers and how do they go about making these changes? Well, I think, I don't think the manufacturers are involved at all in the sense that they're... How do you do it? Well, the governing bodies have to do it. The manufacturers, you know, just as a corporation, a corporation is responsible to its shareholders to make money, to be profitable. Of course. They don't necessarily have a responsibility. Of course. Golf manufacturers have a responsibility to make money. They are not going to stop you know, pursuing their, you know, their technological pursuits and their R&D departments to try and make the, the game, you know, club heads bigger, greater ball speed, try and make the game easier. Well, the governing bodies have to, you know, draw a line in the sand. Right. Now, there are certainly multiple ways to go about that. I don't know that any of those ways won't result in litigation, unfortunately. It's uh, I, I just feel like it's it's a bit uh, a bit sad to think that the governing bodies, specifically the USGA and the RNA, who are there to protect and uphold the game. And keep in mind, the, the professionals that we watch on TV are a very minor minor part of the game of golf. Mm-hmm. The game of golf has been around <laughs> for a long, long time. It will always continue to go on. But all of this focus is really just on the top top uh, few hundred players in the world. Um, you know, for the rest of the amateur world, what the pros are doing isn't relevant to their golf game. And so, yeah, it is absolutely the responsibility of the RNA and the USGA to say, we've got to stop this. We've got to change something. We cannot continue this pursuit of power and distance. Um, And that's, like you said, Bryson going at it that hard. To think about some of the injuries that we see players starting to really uh, try to get their swing speeds up and, and swinging out of their shoes. And, you know, so many golfers have back injuries as it is, but it's just another thing that's not necessarily a great pursuit. And, you know, you've got these long drive hitters, like you mentioned, he's going to keep it in the grid two out of 10 times. I mean, that's just, that's crazy. And that's, that's a pretty wide grid. Um, Jamie Sadlowski, who uh, was quite successful as a, was a world long drive champion is one of the only long drive players to try and make a career in uh, professional golf as a tour player. Hmm. He's, uh, he's had a bit of a challenge, but he, you know, he has played some good golf, but that's a tough transition as well. And, and no, we don't, 
yeah, watching the long, everyone likes watching the long ball and hitting the long drive. But you know what? If you if you toned it back and, and brought it back to 30 years ago, someone's still going to hit the long drive. It's, yeah. it's not going to go as far, but it's still going to be there's some, there's still going to be guys who are you know faster and stronger than than everyone else. That's not going to ever change. But you know to see, and we've seen that with just golfers themselves, DJ and Gary Woodland more athletic uh, golfers, bringing different athletic backgrounds into golf, and that's great, and that's, that's all part of the Tiger effect. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, going forward, it's really, yeah, we've got we've to gotta see some kind of uh, stance taken by the governing body without fear of litigation from the manufacturers. And I just don't know. I don't think anyone has that answer because I, I, I do follow a lot of that and read a lot of that. And uh, I just don't know that there's, I know there's no easy answer out there, but something, no. something happens at some point. Yeah, it's going to be, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it progresses. And, you know, like you said, you can only make a golf course so big and there's only so much real estate out there. And as you mentioned, it's a small percentage and these guys are playing in these tournaments once a year and the amount of money it costs to even change a golf course for the regular public or whether it be a private course is different so yeah these guys are just bryson tiger all these guys are just brooks he's just absolute powerhouses now we know another powerhouse that you're probably happy that's leaving uh the afc east is uh tom brady on the new england patriots give your chance uh, your bills a chance to uh come in and maybe sneak out a division title how are you feeling about your bills this year well i'm uh I'm, I'm feeling less hopeful that we're necessarily even going to see the NBA and the MLB and, I know, uh, I know. and hockey, uh, the NHL. I don't know that that's going to happen, but luckily football is not until September. I'm not, it's, it's, I can't believe how much I've been reading uh, through Bill's websites and Buffalo uh, rumblings and stuff and all these sites. I just, I've never been so excited about a Bill season before. It's, it's kind of funny. And I think part of that, that was it. Had already started before the the Brady uh, move, but uh, you know, great to have Brady out of the division, certainly. And uh, I was, you know, so excited when I saw that Josh Allen was throwing to Stephon Diggs down in Florida. Oh yeah, in some uh, light scout sessions and that. And like, the only thing I hope for during this whole pandemic is that Josh Allen's been working on his twenty to forty yard passes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, big pickup uh, with with Cam Newton for the Patriots, but I just don't know. You know, Cam's had uh, he, he's not a young pup anymore, and he has uh, he's had some injury issues, so not too concerned with that. But I, I just think the Bills, uh, you know, just their their leadership from Brandon Bean to Sean McDermott, uh, you know, great great guys, and I think the whole team really buys in. Like Buffalo is just pure blue collar. I grew up thirty minutes from Buffalo, and. I also grew up watching the Buffalo Bills lose four straight Super Bowls. <laughs> unheard of. Unheard of. Uh, and, uh, but I was a bit of a Dan Marino fan back then, so I wasn't too, uh, too heartbroken. But, no, it's, uh, I, I'm just really excited to, to see if the NFL, hopefully the NFL season happens, and I, I think there's uh, some great potential by Buffalo. I don't know that they're a Super Bowl team yet. If uh, – if they picked up Jadavian Clowney, they might be uh, easily the best defense in the league. But uh, super excited to see uh, Josh Allen uh, mature a little more and progress, along with uh, you know someone like Dawson Knox, who had maybe the most uh, drops by a tight end last year. Even though he was a rookie, I would love to see him clean that up. And I, I think there's just a ton of potential. Um, 
you know, Zach Moss with the running back to complement Devin Singletary, uh, Moss replacing Gore. It's uh, it's pretty exciting. Now, looking at the schedule, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm going to throw a 11 and five prediction out, which I also had the same prediction last year. And the I only like reason it. they go 11 and was because they gave up on that Jets game uh, in Week 17. Yeah, I like that. I like them at I like them at 11 wins right now. They're sitting. I think with the, the odds shifted, but they're at plus 45 to win the division. Um, and I could and I didn't I didn't realize they were in the hunt for Clowney. That could be an absolutely massive pickup for them. I don't know that they are, but I've definitely been reading a few different takes on it. And okay, I just read an article basically saying like if if the Bills had Clowney, they would pretty much maybe be the best defense in the league. Just what he would do with some of the just to complement the players they had. They have a great defense. We know that uh, Tre'Davious White is outstanding. Uh, an outstanding corner, and uh, and I think they they've got some great guys there. But you know, I don't know if Clowney's a fit from a personality standpoint. But man, oh man, that would uh, that would just take that defense to another level. Yeah, they'd they'd be the second best defense behind my Niners. Though let's not get carried away. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I- so, and you know why? Because we rotate every four years. So we're actually playing uh, AFC East this year. So we, uh, we're going to be playing against you guys, but down in, uh, down in San Francisco, I think it's week 11. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, we got the Arizona and Seattle, the Niners and, uh, and the Rams, right? That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. So it's always a fun, it's always fun division because, you know, I get a chance to see the team uh, not too far away. So I think, yeah, if Josh Allen, I love Josh Allen, but that playoff, that playoff game, the first three quarters was magic. What he did in the last oh. quarter, what he did in the fourth quarter was, uh, yeah. I hope he can, uh, hope he's got amnesia and, and can, can kind of wipe that off. I think so. Right. I mean, that's one of the great things about sports is just that the pressure these guys have. And, you know, you say the first three quarters, you're more generous. I just felt like that the first, the, the first few drives were just like the, the play calling by Brian Dayball was incredible. I'm like, wow, it was just out of the box thinking and just doing yeah. all this crazy fun stuff. And then it seemed to really just go away. Mm-hmm. And then they just kind of went back kind of into a shell and were a little safe. And then, you know, Josh felt that pressure. And, and that's what's just so much fun about watching any sport is the amount of pressure. But you know what? You just keep putting yourself back in that position. So I, I don't think Josh Allen has any any scar tissue from that whatsoever. He's, he's expecting to, you know, he's a winner. He expects to be a winner. You just put yourself back in the playoffs again and uh, you do it again, just like any PGA Tour player who blows, you know, blows a tournament in the last couple holes. You know what? Put yourself back in the position next week. Just yeah. forget about it. They're easier said than done, but that's you know, part of being a pro athlete. No, I agree. I agree. I'm, you know, I'm Niners first and then Bills. I got my Flutie jersey. I had Flutie flakes. You know, I, I absolutely love the Bills. When they play the Niners. When they play the Niners, it's like a 51-49. I'm never too disappointed at the outcome. Clearly, I yeah. want San Francisco to win, but I want to see Buffalo do. I want to see Buffalo doing well. There's one playoff win since '93, since they went to the last Super Bowl, and it was actually against the Dolphins. And there's been some heartbreaking losses. So I think you know it'd be nice to see. I think the league is better when Buffalo is doing well. Like you said, blue collar, tough team, a lot of character. And I think with Josh Allen being able to throw Stefan Diggs, it's I think that I think they're going to be a team to be reckoned with. And I think they take the uh, I think they take the uh, the league title or division title. Sorry. No, it'd be great to see the division title go their way. Yeah. And uh, well, it's, uh, 
It's going to be fun to watch. Well, we'll have to. Well, when the doors are open for me to come from Ontario out there, you're going to have to come out. You're going to have to come out, and we're going to have to have a little friendly bet on the golf course, and then we'll have to have a, a, a we're going to have to parlay it with the 49ers and uh, and Bill's bet as well. Love it, love it. We'll just, uh, I imagine we just play the 17th hole over and over again, right? <laughs> yeah, that'd be good to go. Just right, the, right, <laughs> the, right off the beach. Right off the beach, man. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I, uh, can't wait to see you out here. I really, uh, really hope it does happen uh, sooner than later. And uh, it would be uh, be great to get you back out here for sure. Yeah, buddy. it would be. I miss all you, I miss all you guys. Uh, miss you all a lot, man. Miss you, buddy. You're great, great dude. Uh, you know, you turned out from my boss last year to now uh, to my to now my friend, and then taking the time to come on here and chat with me. I, I really appreciate it, there, Jer. Well, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you, you got it. And uh, yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be chatting with you here sooner or later. Okay, sounds All right. good. All right, brother. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That was my old boss and my good friend, Jeremy Ravondo. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, he's always a pleasure uh, to chat with. Hopefully, we can see him sooner or later. Stay tuned for uh, what's coming up here soon, and stay tuned if you want to buy a hat or a T-shirt. Check it out. We'll talk to you soon. Peace.